Welcome to the Heart of Life Church podcast, featuring the latest sermons from Pastor Jeff Funderburg. You can always go to our website at heartoflife.org to find more free resources from Jeff and the church staff. As the novel coronavirus brings a lot of the world to a grinding halt, church is not canceled. In today's message, Jeff preaches from the book of Ruth, showing how God demonstrated his deep love for us in the same way that Boaz showed love to Ruth. And we're called to show that same kind of love, especially amid crisis in the world. Here's Jeff continuing in the same page series. It was a whale, 56 feet long, that unfortunately had died and was beached on the southwest coast of Taiwan. Two weeks later, with the opportunity for research, the authorities decided to transport the whale to a laboratory. It took 50 workers, three cranes, and 13 hours to hoist the 66-ton behemoth onto a trailer. Pedestrians and shop owners poured into the streets to watch the spectacle of a whale carcass being driven through downtown. And then, the unbelievable happened. As the truck crawled through the busy streets of town, the whale exploded. Yeah, literally blew up. The inner conditions of the whale, combined with the bumps in the road, caused an eruption that splattered whale guts all over cars, all over people, all over shops. The traffic shut down, the smell was unbearable, and the news headlines appropriately read, Thar she blows. <laughs> True story. You know, I, I bet no one... No one woke up that morning getting ready for work, standing in front of the mirror thinking, you know, I don't think I'm going to wear this shirt today because I don't want to get whale guts on it. No, it was just an ordinary day, going about their business, walking down the street, doing life when suddenly, boom. I think that feels a little bit like life right now for most of us. Just going about your business when suddenly, boom. No, it's not a whale, but it might have well has been because, I mean, it's not like any of us really saw this coming. And then here we are now with with work that has come to a halt for a number of people. Gatherings have ceased to exist. And the truth is we're processing, but we still don't really understand the full impact our health, our friendships, our businesses, the economy. And so I think for a lot of people, there's fear. For a lot of people, anxiety, uncertainty, instability, and questions, so many questions. For some people, it sort of leaves them paralyzed, and for other people, it infuriates. And the question is, where do we go? To whom do we turn? I want to thank you for joining with us today as we search out answers to those kinds of questions. To everybody across Heart of Life Church today, I I, want to just welcome you. I look forward to the time that we really can see each other again, but I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Um, From what we learned in the live stream last week, we want to welcome folks from different parts across the nation and, and, and even to some folks in other nations, and in particular to our friends in Taiwan. We thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the encouragement. Many of you have already walked through what we are currently walking through. I welcome everyone today. And the part of God's story that I want to share with you starts with a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, who is married to a woman named Naomi. They work a family farm in a little town that perhaps you've heard of it, Bethlehem. A family farm in Bethlehem when suddenly, 
a famine struck. Now, for a farmer, a famine is not just no food, but it's attached to a livelihood, and so a risk of losing everything. But soon there are rumors of an economic opportunity in a distant land called Moab. And so Elimelech and Naomi loaded up the truck, and they moved to Beverly, right? Moab, that is. Enemies of God and enemies of God's people. So when you hear the story at first and you think Elimelech got his family and he moved them to this place, you think that was a smart move, Elimelech. Good move to take care of your family unless God has said, don't go there. It was a people that worshiped other gods. It was a a people that throughout history, the Moabites had had done some things to the Israelites that that God has said, I don't want you to go there. But Elimelech takes his family there. Because there was financial security. Isn't it interesting what people will do when you mess with what matters most to them? If you mess with our stock market, if you mess with our toilet paper, right? It all represents a level of comfort and safety. And sometimes what happens in those moments is we react in foolish, selfish ways rather than first seeking God's direction. That's what Elimelech did. Can you believe that he would act that way? By the way, Elimelech and Naomi have two sons. They are named Malon and Kilion. I think those are two great Klingon names, right? And it says that they married two women from Moab. One, not Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth. You look at this picture, and this looks like a full life. I mean, big family, all together in a place where there's some financial security. But suddenly, boom, whale guts. Because the story goes, Elimelech dies. And remember, they're not in the place where they're supposed to be. They're in this place called Moab. This is, this is not where the family is really supposed to be, according to God. The story is also that the two sons die. And then Orpah ends up going back to her family. And suddenly, there are only two left. Naomi and Ruth. Didn't see that coming. Well, Naomi and Ruth begin their journey back to Bethlehem. By this time, it's likely that Naomi would be in her 50s. It's likely that Ruth was probably 20s. And they occupy, I mean, the only way I know to describe it, probably the lowest rung on society's ladder. Uh, They are widows, and in this particular case, they are widows without anything. They're poor. And to top all that off, Ruth is an outsider. She is a Moabite. But can I go ahead and tell you a secret today? The God that we have gathered to worship today is a God who is always out front. I try to imagine what it must have felt like for Naomi and Ruth to go back to Bethlehem, but what they didn't even realize, what they could not yet see, is that there was a God who was already out front. See, God had actually already spoken on this circumstance. For those of you who are going through the same page with us as a church, we're we're reading through God's entire story this year. You've already read through Deuteronomy. And it's likely that when you came to Deuteronomy chapter 10, you might have just brushed by it. It's just another one of the chapters. But there was something very unique that God taught us about who he is in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He makes the statement that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And it says that he loves the foreigner residing among you. 
He says, I give them food and I give them clothing. Well, I'm telling you, that's good news for Naomi and Ruth, and they don't even know it yet. They arrived back in Bethlehem at a time that was the barley harvest. They're harvesting the grain. And because God is a champion for the weak, there was a law in Israel that said, when they were harvesting the fields, they were not allowed to harvest at all. They could not get it all. They were to leave some in the field. Why would they leave some in the field? For the poor. In fact, there was a part of the law that said if you had bundled up sheaves of grain and put them on the wagon, and as you were transporting those bundles, one of them fell off the wagon, you were not allowed to stop and pick up the bundle of grain. You leave it for the poor. I've always imagined God who was thumping little bundles of grain off of wagons. He said it long ago, he feeds and he clothes those who are vulnerable. Maybe you're the landowner in that case and your response is, what do you mean I can't pick up the bundle? Come on, this is my field. But God's response is, no, it's not your field. It's my field. You're just farming my field and I love the vulnerable. And what I'm teaching you, I want your heart to look like mine. But the fact is, it was still dangerous for the women to be in those fields Sometimes they were harassed by the men. Sometimes it was worse, especially a foreigner, especially a Moabite. And so the Bible tells us about Ruth. We're going to pick up the story in the the book that goes by her name in the Bible. It's the book of Ruth in chapter 2. This is what it says in verse 3. It says, so she went out, that's Ruth, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now check out this next line. As it turned out. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. One of the things I love when I read the Bible is the very clear picture, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in happenstance. When I read God's story, I read of a God who is sovereign over everything. And yes, I know, and we know that there are bad things that sometimes happen even to good people. But the Bible teaches us in the very first book, that's a part of the consequence when sin entered at the garden, that there would be consequences of man's sin. We would see the effect of the curse of sin upon this world. Sometimes it looks like famine. Sometimes it may look like disease. But what we know is that God is still at work even when it feels like chaos. As it turned out, Ruth is working in a field owned by someone who's actually connected to Elimelech's family. She didn't know it, but God did. Watch where it goes from here. Verse 4. Just then, same language, just then. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. So as it turns out, Ruth is in the right field, and just then, in the timing of God, Boaz shows up at the field. So he's got fields outside of Bethlehem. He has workers who who work those fields, but at the right time, just then, he shows up. Can I tell you, for me personally, I, I feel so much this way about what God has done for us as a church in dealing with, with, with the coronavirus. I, I, over the last 12 months, we really felt like God was telling us to focus our resources, focus our direction on trying to take steps to help us do video better and better and better. And in that 12-month period, God gave us right people 
to be able to put some of it together. He gave us right resources to, to, to get some equipment. He, he, we designated a lot of time, and, and I get it. There are always going to be needs for improvement. There are always going to be times that it doesn't work perfectly. I think that's a little bit going on even today. It depends on connections on each end, right? Sometimes servers are down. It works on one and not. But my point is there is no way for me to verbally explain to you today how far we have come in the last 12 months because of what we felt like God was telling us to do. And as it turned out, here we are. And even though I wish I could like see you today, we can still talk. That's because there's a God who's out front. For months, For months, we have felt like God was pushing us toward exploring an online campus. It's the way people explore most everything these days. If somebody wants to go to a restaurant, they check it out online first, right? You want to go to an event, you check it out online first. Well, we're learning that it's a part of how people begin to check out church. They're able to go online and they can watch a service and it's becoming, in a way, the front door to the church. And so, We're learning that statistics are showing that it doesn't replace eventually them becoming a part of the physical gathering. It's just a front door. And so we've been exploring, like, like what would it be like to have an online campus with, with campus pastors who connect and there be an opportunity to see people connect together? And as it turned out, that's exactly where we need to be today. Guys, I just want to encourage you in a million ways. The God we worship today is a God out front. I want to give you just a quick glimpse of the website. Um, Lane already talked to you a little bit about that earlier on, but it's just the fact of where we are right now. We communicate with a lot of different forms, right? But we need an anchor place where people, everybody can go to be able to get the information that we are currently trying to get out to you. And so if you go to our website, heartoflife.org, you're, you're going to find resources for kids. There, there are videos there just like the children's church that they would normally get when, when we gather physically together. I encourage you to go on. Parents, watch it with your kids experience that together. There are some daily encouragements for your kids, Bible stories that are read to them. It's just opportunity to, to have some resources. There's opportunity for students. There's, there's resources for adults. Our, our campus pastors, along with me, each day, we are going to be giving you an encouraging word for the day, trying to, to help us together to stay focused on the one that we know really is out front. I shared with you last week that I really wanted to do a sit-down question and answer with a doctor, a medical doctor who could help us navigate, right, this whole thing, somebody we could trust. Well, honestly, as the week went on and more conversation between he and myself, we really came to the conclusion, you know what, we think it's a good idea, but to get us in a room and even the, the people who would be you know, cameras and that kind of thing. It's like, is that really the smartest way to do that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be the one who gives the doctor, right, something that he suddenly can't bless, right, so many people that he needs to help. And so what we're going to do instead is he has agreed to be a part of this website on a regular basis where he's going to do videos. There are going to be periodical videos that we, I can ask him a question. Sometimes he's just going to give us information. And, and periodically, we're going to post those videos that you can hear directly from the doctor helping us understand, here's where we are, here's what we're going through, here's how we can navigate this the best. I think that's way better than just a one-time sit-down question and answer. He's going to help us walk this out however long it takes us to walk this out. My big point in all of this is that it would have been much, much, much more difficult for us to take these kind of steps right now if God hadn't been prompting us a year earlier to begin to do what we need to do. That's because he, for Ruth and for us, is a God out front. 
Let me read you, read to you a little more of Ruth's story. Let's pick it up in verse four. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. That's his workers now. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. I'm sure that's the conversation that happens between you and your boss daily, right? You walk into work and your boss says, bless you, right? Probably not. You begin to get the picture that maybe this guy, Boaz, is a little different. Maybe there's something different about his heart than even most people that you would encounter. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained there from this morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz. (laughs) I love this guy in scripture. I do. You get thirsty, Ruth? Hey, we got plenty of Gatorade in the coolers. You don't need to go anywhere else. Just feel free to get you something to drink, right? And listen to me, you don't need to go gather in another field. Don't go somewhere else because here, I'm telling you, the men are not going to touch you. In other words, Boaz demonstrates love by protecting. He demonstrates love by protecting. And when I read this story, guys, I think that's exactly what we, the church, are called to do right now in the middle of this crazy season that we find ourselves in. Can I explain to you that that is in part why we are not gathering today physically? It's, it's to protect. It's to protect We want to protect the communities around us. And so what are we doing? We're spreading out as much as we can, creating some distance so that it makes it much more difficult for the virus to spread. Come on, by now, I I, I hope that you got it. China, that was real. Italy, what's happened there, it's real. I think it was something like 800 people died there yesterday. And I get it, we're not exactly comparing apples to apples when you think about healthcare and those kinds of things, but still, you understand the, the magnitude of what this virus can do. I, I look at organizations like the NCAA. Right now, we're normally celebrating March Madness. They shut it down. That's billions of dollars. That doesn't happen if you're just playing a game with people. No, I want us to understand, I don't think that any of this is religious oppression. It's not. This is not about just shutting the church down. We are in a season where everything, in a sense, is shutting down in order to protect one another. Now, I want you to think about this. If the rest of our community chooses to protect each other, but the church basically says, you know what? We're just going to keep gathering. We see what you're doing, but we're just going to keep showing up and interacting with each other. Do you realize that the world would look at us and say, you're going to do what? You, you don't think any more of our communities than that, that you would still gather even though that could be harmful. Look, what we're talking about here is temporary. I know it may take a while, but it's still temporary. And listen to me, we are still the church because I don't care what you do, you can't cancel the church. The enemy has trying, been trying to do that from day one. You can't cancel the church. But what this is, is we are simply adjusting our methods for a period of time. Why would we do that? It's because we, like Boaz, can demonstrate love by 
protecting. The phrasing that we are using over and over in this season is we want to bring hope, not hype. Sacrifice, not selfishness. Hope, not hype. Sacrifice, not selfishness. And a part of sacrifice right now means that we are choosing not to gather together. We're going to stay away so that we protect the best that we can. Well, let me give you the final part of Ruth's story. Let's pick it up in verse 19. Her mother-in-law, this is, this is Ruth. Now remember, Ruth's been working all day and now she comes home with a lot of grain. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our, check this language out, guardian redeemers. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Now, in lots of places in Scripture, the way that is translated is it's translated a kinsman redeemer. A, a kinsman redeemer in that day was a, a male relative who could act on behalf of another relative who was in trouble or danger or need. And, and typically, the redeeming part of that description means they would buy back the property, just like is the case for Naomi. They had a farm. They had to leave. Now th there is an opportunity to redeem that farm. That's the role that Boaz can play. So the story is that Ruth keeps going to the fields of Boaz. Yeah, that's an obvious, right? Smart move. She keeps going each day. She's gathering grain each day all the way to the end of the barley harvest season. And on the last day of the harvest, Naomi gives Ruth what I consider to be some of the worst advice in all of the Bible. Now, scholars will debate, maybe there's some cultural stuff here, but even, even those that do would tend to say, this is not good advice. See, the threshing floor was where, as the harvest came to completion, that's where they would separate that which was good from that which was bad. It was a place that the farmers would start to calculate their harvest, and therefore they would celebrate. And so at the threshing floor, guys would, would hang out, and, and you know, when, when you're calculating how much you've made, they might be celebrating with a few cold beverages, and, and eventually they actually just fall asleep at the threshing floor. That's where their produce is. Here's Naomi's advice to Ruth. Ruth, I want you to get cleaned up, put on some perfume, uh, put on the, 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 the nicest little black dress that you've got, and I want you to wait until Boaz falls asleep at the threshing floor, at which point you are going to sneak in, you're going to get under the edge of his blanket where he sleeps, and he will tell you what to do. It's in the Bible. You got to read it. I read that and I go, that would be like telling your daughter, right? Babe, I want you to clean up, smell nice, wear something attractive. Your boyfriend is out camping. I want you to wait until the night gets a little longer. He drinks enough. He goes to his tent to get some sleep. You sneak into his tent and, and when he realizes it's you, just say to him, tell me what you want me to do. No, no. Ruth does it. Ruth does it. And you know what Boaz does? He protects her. And that's all he does. That night, Boaz protects her. 
and how easy it would have been for him to play games in his head of all that he had done for Ruth, right? Uh, the relationship that they've built. I mean, w- what a moment for him to take advantage of basically whatever he would have wanted to. And instead, the most powerful man in the room leverages his power to protect the one who was most vulnerable. Next day, Boaz goes to the gates of the city. The gates of the city would sort of be like our courthouse. It's where the legal affairs are are addressed. You see, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, but there's one little hang-up. The only hang-up is there's one more relative who is actually closer related to Elimelech than Boaz is. And sure enough, there at the gates of the city, this man shows up too. And so Boaz has this conversation. He says, ah, you, you are just the man that I was looking for. You know Naomi's back. You know that Elimelech has died. Well, I've decided that as a close relative, I would like to redeem her property. I'm going to pay the creditor off, and I would like to make that farm a part of my estate. But I know since you are technically the closer relative, well, you have the right of first refusal. You can redeem it if you want. And the man says, you know what? I think I will. I mean, maybe this was a farm that would benefit him. And he, he, he says, you know what? I, I think that's exactly what I do. I think I'm going to redeem it. And Boaz chimes in and he says, but you realize, of course, that means you will also need to marry the Moabite woman. You know, the one who came back with Naomi. And you must raise up her children in her husband's name according to the law. And the guy... Pauses, I imagine, uh, hmm, you know, that really might affect the domestic bliss. You know, I, you know what, I, on second thought, I, I really don't think I'm going to be able to handle that farm. You, you know what, Boaz, I'll sign off on it. You go ahead and take it. And Boaz redeems the property, marries Ruth, Ruth gets pregnant. She has a boy and name him Obed. Obed eventually will have a son and name him Jesse. Jesse eventually a son whose name is David. The one who would really put Bethlehem on the map until another baby would be born in a little town of Bethlehem. And his name would be Jesus. And the greatest news for the whole world is that Jesus becomes our ultimate kinsman redeemer. You say, Jeff, what what do you mean? I I mean, a, a kinsman redeemer was like a blood relative to someone. I mean, we're talking about Jesus who is God. How can that happen? Well, how does he do that? Hebrews tells us that, that since we have flesh and blood, that Christ was willing to take on flesh and blood to share in our humanity. Jesus who is fully God, but he's fully man. So that by his death, his sacrifice, he became the payment for, for the death of sin that we deserved, that he would break the power of the one who holds power over us. He would break the power of death of an enemy. He frees us where we have always belonged to another. We who at one time were not children of God, we were children belonging to an enemy. But Jesus becomes our kinsman redeemer and he pays the price that we might be forgiven. And he buys us back. How could Jesus become our kinsman redeemer? It's because Jesus becomes our brother, our kin, our kinsman, that he might redeem us. And now, who is us? We are the church. We are the church who have been redeemed. 
because of the kinsman redeemer who is Jesus. And now we get to live and share a redeeming story, the rescue story of God throughout our lives. It is on purpose that Jesus is in the center here because for us, he always is, right? Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer, was pointing forward to the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And now we, the church, our lives point to Jesus always. He, the ultimate kinsman redeemer. No matter how big the mess that I've made of my life, no matter how heavy the level of hopelessness and bitterness that I may feel in my soul, the greatest news in the world is that Jesus came to be a brother so that he could be my kinsman redeemer. And let me tell you, the one thing I know about Jesus, Jesus is not about hype. He's about hope. He's about hope, not hype. He's about sacrifice, not selfishness. And I'm saying, what an opportunity I want you to hear that word. What an opportunity right now in the season that we are built for. No, I wish we were not going through this, but I'm telling you as redeemed people of God, we are built for this moment to live the hope and the sacrifice that Jesus has lived for us. Now, in order to do that, let's just get real practical. Yeah, you gotta stay informed of what's going on around you. You do. You got to stay informed of what's happening in this whole crazy season. But listen to me. I'm begging you. Don't spend more time watching news stories than you do listening to the heart of your God. Don't spend more time letting your heart become consumed by what it's being fed. Do you need to know it? Yes, but I'm telling you, you can watch a couple of times a day and you can get enough feeding that you can figure out what's going on. Last week in the Psalms, King David told us, he said, your day should be characterized more by the word of God on your lips than by COVID in your mind. God's word on your lips that you're speaking hope, that you're living sacrifice. My question is, in the people that you're talking to most days now, is your conversation look just like theirs? Everybody's talking about the same thing. I want to encourage you to take that opportunity and eventually steer the conversation to some hope. Steer the conversation to what sacrifice and love really looks like. We as the church, do not want to put our neighbors in danger by gathering without, having to get, without needing really to gather. But we also are not going to hesitate, just like the church has done since the day it was born. We're not going to hesitate when necessary to put ourselves in danger if it means to help our neighbors who are in need. This week, I dealt with a situation where one of the towns in which Heart of Life has people that minister, one of the towns had been working to create storm shelters for the town. Uh, the plan was we weren't going to be dealing with a virus, but it's tornado time as the weather warms up, and so there, we needed shelters in order for people who don't have basements, they, or maybe they're, they're on the road, a quick place where they can step into a place to be safe. Well, when the coronavirus comes along, all of a sudden the city had lost two out of the three places in order to do because, because the people were afraid of the effect of having people with the virus possibly in the building. We're, we're offering our building. We're going to offer the space that we have. When the word comes that, hey, there's a, a line of storms and a tornado that, you know, maybe 20 minutes out, we're, we're going to open that space and let it be spread that people can find shelter there. Because who's worried about a coronavirus if the tornado wipes you off the planet? If somebody's in the building who has the virus, you know what? We'll, we'll deal with it. We'll just stay away, right? We'll clean. We'll do what we got to do. We'll find out the appropriate steps to take, but... Why would we let fear of something there 
keep us from loving our neighbor right now in the need that's right in front of us. That was just a little picture for me of how we, the church, need to live out this hope and this sacrifice. No, we're not going to put our neighbors in danger by gathering when it's not needed, but we are going to step forward when they're in need. What an opportunity for the church. I want you to hear the word. What an opportunity for the church. We are built for this. One of our leaders said something to me this week. And when he gave me this image, it's like, oh, that's it. He said, it's almost like God has pushed the pause button in our lives. And I thought, man, what a great description. I mean, as a church, we've been talking about more, right, for quite a period of time. And our God who's able to do more, right, than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. And so we've been focused on the power button. But God, it's, it's like God has pushed the, the pause button in our lives. And all of a sudden, the way we normally operate is paused. <laughs> the places we normally go, it's paused. And, and it gives us a chance to actually realize where we are. You ever said these words, if I had time, I would. Well, some of us have some time. Some of us aren't going to be able to do the work, right? You're not going to be able to go to work, perhaps like you normally do. Not going to be able to go to school like you normally do. Yeah, there's probably still going to be work to be done. I get it, but Man, the schedules have changed and you can't run at the rapid pace that we always run at. There are, there are not, right, all the, the rehearsals to be at or, or practices to be at. All that stuff, pause. If I had time, I would pray more. <laughs> and it's almost like God has pushed pause and he says, bring it. If I had more time, I would read the Bible more. <laughs> Bring it. If I had more time, I would be with my kids more. What a great opportunity to be with your kids. If I had more time, I would, I would really work on some things with my spouse. Just some, I would love to see us grow. What a time. Bring it, right? If, if I had more time, I would exercise more. Well, as it turns out, here we are. I love the fact that this just happens to be the earliest spring in 124 years. A part of that is I'm hoping that as it warms up, we're hoping that it affects that virus in a positive way. I know folks want the whole debate of will it, will it not. I don't know, but I, I hope that it does. I, I pray that it does. But spring also just simply means that in a time where we are somewhat confined, we can get out and breathe some air and take in some sunshine. This last week, we had a couple of those days where the weather was really nice. And my family and I decided to just walk the neighborhood. And I think that's, that's going to become a pattern for us. That's going to be something that we're going to practice on a regular basis. Just to get out, and we just walked the streets, and uh, the sunshine felt good, and just, just to, you know, breathe some air. And what I was amazed at is how many people that I saw along the way. There were people walking their dog just like we were. There were people in their yards who were working and we would stop and have a conversation. No physical contact, nobody's shaking hands, nobody's within close proximity, but just people in their yards and we're walking down the street. Sometimes it would be people sitting on their front porch and so we would stop and just have conversation. I'm saying, what an opportunity what an opportunity as you're talking with your neighbor and the same conversation, right, is coming up. It's here's what we're going through. And what if you had the chance to say to them, you know what? Just want you to know you're not alone. You know what? If you ever need anything, man, don't hesitate to call me. If you can't get out and you need somebody to deliver some groceries to your door, 
I'd love to help you however I can. You know what? It's going to be okay. And the reason I know it's going to be okay is because of the God that I know. Maybe you point them to a website to say, you know what, this is a place that I go to every day and there are some people there who send some encouraging words and they'll pray for you. So anything that you're going through, you're able to connect and, and y- you can just give them hope. Hope. Right now it feels like a world that some days is just full of bad news. And everything is about what stores close today, who can't go to work today, how many positive tests today, right? Deaths today. And the truth of the matter is, church, you got to realize our country is going to be wrestling more and more with death. Our country is going to be wrestling more and more with depression. But in the middle of the bad news, we got good news. In fact, I'm going to take it straight to great news because we got a world that's put on pause and needs to know that we know a God who has the power beyond the grave. And we know a God who has the power to walk through our suffering with us. Great news. Lots of stuff canceled. But family is not canceled. Prayer is not canceled. Singing is not canceled. Laughing is not canceled. And hope is not canceled. Because no matter what you do, you can't cancel the church because you can't cancel Jesus. He holds the power to even turn graves into gardens. praise the treasures that fade are never enough you came along you put me back together and every desire is now satisfied
just applaud that truth for a moment that our God, our God truly, he is better than any. I want to thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, If you're watching on Facebook, uh, we're going to continue to encourage you to jump over to our website. I think, again, today, sometimes there's a little struggle at certain times, but eventually that's the goal is to get you to the website, heartoflife.org. There, there are some pastors who are available to do their best to answer any questions that you have, to pray with you, to help you get connected with a, even a group of people to, to walk this out together. Um, they're going to be available for about the next 30 minutes, um, even after we're closed. So, so if you've got questions, need, encourage you to check it out and get connected. Also, don't forget children's material that's on there today. You can, you can watch children's church. Uh, parents, I, I encourage you to watch that with your kids because if you had time, it's the kind of thing you enjoy doing. Thanks again for being a part of these moments with us. May God bless you. I love you. Be safe, but stay dangerous for the kingdom of God. God bless. Thanks for joining us today on the Heart of Life Church podcast. For more free resources, head over to our website at heartoflife.org. I'm your host, Matt Cox, and until next time, we'll connect with you on our website.